Let me hear it for him again. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I could tell myself. Um, but seriously, uh, we made the call to come down here maybe 30 minutes before we started rehearsal, and that was just because it was about 80 degrees upstairs. And uh, so huge shout out to the band and also to the tech team, Gabby and Anna, killing it. So let's give them a hand, because seriously. Right now you would all be dying. You'd be absolutely dying upstairs, okay? So you don't know how grateful you are to them. And with that, we have in the tech team, I, I have realized a, a tech team that is about to graduate in, in many respects, okay? So if you are interested in, in learning some of those positions in about, uh, I don't know, nine months, we're really gonna need some people who are as talented and knowledgeable about that sort of thing to serve. So uh, if you are interested in that, uh, just talk to me uh, and I can get you hooked up with, with the tech team stuff. I'm not exactly sure what that pathway looks like, but there is a pathway and we wanna get you on that pathway, okay? Whether that's for slides or for sound, um, Gabby's nodding, I'm sure there's more to it than that, but uh, we do need people. Gabby, you won't be here forever, so okay. <laughs> um, excellent, and now I'm also grateful for the band because in, in essence, we just sang the entire message that I have for you. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing when your, your worship team, so to speak, the praise team, of course we know worship is more than just music, but when the, what we call worship team, the music team, uh, for a given service, sings songs that are so intentional that you're actually learning theology as you sing your praise to the Lord. Like, that's how it should be. That's how the Psalms are. Did you know that the Psalms is, I think, the most quoted book of the Old Testament for theology in the New Testament? Okay, so our songs are meant to be theological, and uh, I'm just really grateful for that. So I'm going to reference a couple of those songs that we sang. I didn't talk to Stanton about exactly what I was going to talk about, but uh, tonight we're going to talk about the gospel and we just sang about the gospel. So that's how it works. And uh, so we're really excited. Okay, to jump in, um, I wanted to, this is a different room, so I have to get used to that. Um, I like puzzles. Does anyone else like, now I'm not talking like, now, now I, I do actually like any kind of puzzle. So I'm gonna just leave that broad, any kind of a puzzle. Anybody is a puzzle person in here? Okay. I, I love to have a mystery to solve also. So like escape rooms are like my jam. I also love like chess puzzles. I get kind of addicted to like the, the app. Is there anyone who plays chess in here? Okay, nice. But I love it, I kind of love being stumped and then getting it, right? I love that, that transition from being like, this can't work to this, this has to work somehow. Somehow this works, right? And then, and then figuring it out, transitioning over to that and then realizing how those pieces fit together. And the gospel in many ways is God's, like, the, the cross. We're going to talk about the cross tonight. The cross is this last piece of the puzzle that we, we knew some things about from the Old Testament, but we did not have a clear picture of it until it happened. And then it was explained by the apostles. And, and when that happened, what, this, this piece of the puzzle fell into place that explained a puzzle in the Old Testament. I'm going to get into that tonight. But we're going to talk tonight about the gospel. So just to recap a little bit, we now okay also i have a new toy and it's probably going to slap me in the face tonight because you know i've never used it before but um have, has anyone ever had a tablet have you guys heard of these things okay so it's like you can touch the screen and it like knows you're touching it it's pretty sweet okay 
So I, I'm totally new to this. Uh, anyway, okay, here we are. So let's see if this works. Hey! Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we have been walking through the three circles. What's the first circle? What goes in there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, God's original design. So I'm just going to say God's design. Okay, and so the three circles is this. Really, it was created as an evangelism strategy, but we are using it both as that and as a way to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly. Just a way to summarize the gospel. What is the gospel? Okay, so first we have God's design, and we went to Genesis 1.31. Can anyone quote that to, to me, Michelle? Yeah, that was really good. Alexander, all right. Golf clap, golf clap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is after he had completed his creation on, on day six, and he says it's very good. We drew kind of two conclusions out of this. Uh, number one is that everything was created good, and number two, the designer, that is God, is the one who determines what is good, okay? What is good? I probably don't have to write out everything, right? <laughs> so, everyone. Okay. Um, yeah. Again, I'm learning. We're learning. Okay, so God created everything good, and he's the one who determines what is good. So that means for your life, in every aspect of your life, whether that's work or your, let's say, uh, marriage, sex life, or your uh, how you recreate, you, uh, by that I mean recreate, not recreate, recreate. <laughs> Sorry, mine is still on uh, marriage. Uh, so recreate, how you, how you play. Um, how you treat your body, what you do with your body, all of these things, God had a design for it, and it was a good design, okay? And one way that we can summarize what sin is, is a departure from that design. We can kind of summarize it as, if there was a path that God created us to walk on, we stepped off of the path, okay? And in so doing, we got ourselves into a place of great brokenness. And we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, uh, and... The, the scripture that we used was Romans uh, 3.23, a familiar passage to say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we got into that a little bit. As we go through the three circles, we have these little squigglies. Does anyone remember what the squigglies mean? What they represent? Yeah, yeah, not necessarily sinful even, but ways that we're trying to fill the hole in our life. Essentially, ways that we're trying to make ourselves right, okay? And we all have these things where we, we say, okay, I know that I'm broken. I, I feel this emptiness, or I feel this guilt, or I feel this anxiety and depression, or whatever it is that plagues you. You know you're broken, and without Jesus, you're going to look to something to solve that problem, okay? And so when we're talking to people, this is a really useful a way to talk about all the things that they may have tried and we have tried in many cases to satisfy ourselves and to fix ourselves. So this could be something like a uh, pursuing your career, right? And just throwing yourself wholehearted into making money, getting there, right? Achieving whatever it is, status or popularity or money or whatever it is, uh, and trying to fill those gaps, trying to fix that brokenness. And we know that that's not going to work. As believers, we know that won't work, right? And yet, we're tempted to, to pursue that. Okay, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other examples of this, right? And ultimately, the, the point of this is to say, this isn't going to work. 
right? Now, with this summary of the gospel, uh, I fear that there is something missing, all right? Or it could be missing from this presentation. And actually, that's why I spent a week talking about hell, specifically. If you remember that, uh, that was probably a month ago or so. I spent a week talking about hell because we have a vertical problem as well as a horizontal problem. People uh, are very quick to understand they are broken. And that's kind of, they understand it more in a horizontal uh, idea. And that means like me and the people around me, I can, I can tell that I'm broken and things are not functioning the way that they should, something's wrong. But they may not be aware, or at least not uh, actively admitting to the fact that they also have a vertical problem, that is, between us and God, there is a big problem. When we sin, we have dishonored God, right? And we have uh, ultimately rebelled against God, okay? And God is holy, which means he has to punish sin. And that is why hell has to be the way that it is, okay? Uh, because God is holy, God is just. And this means that our brokenness is not the end of the story. In fact, our brokenness is just the beginning of the pain that we've caused. And ultimately, we are awaiting, without Christ, we are awaiting uh, judgment, okay? This is a judgment coming down from God, as it says in Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all unrighteousness, all ungodliness of men, okay? So we are in a predicament. Now, I started out by saying that we, we have a bit of a puzzle. This is how far we've gotten so far. All right, everybody with me? Everybody enjoying the tablet? All right. I, I love this. Okay. Um, I want to I take you. Watch this. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to be all night. I'll be like, wow, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to take you to Exodus, Exodus 34. Okay. And this is, this is the puzzle that I'm referring to. Okay. Now, this is after Israel has sinned with the golden calves. Okay? And Moses and God, well, God just about gives up on Israel. And Moses actually says, no, wait, don't. Um, you have to be faithful to your word and you've promised. So, so don't give up on Israel. But, but Moses also says, I, I want to see your glory. And when he says that, God says, okay, this is what you have to do. He walks him through it. And then the Lord reveals himself to him. And this is what he says. And this is quoted throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, extensively, because it is just so important as a revelation of who God is, okay? And there's really two aspects to it, okay? First of all, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. All right. Ah, if we stopped right there, we could be... Buddhists also, I think, <laughs> right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we could say. Well, actually, I don't know if a bunch of us really believe about a personal God. But my point is, that's not the whole story, okay? God is, at his core, merciful. And he loves to be. And he's gracious. And he, he loves to forgive. And yet, in verse 7, it continues. But he will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do you see the, the puzzle? How is it that God can do both of these things? We understand ourselves to be guilty. 
and we understand ourselves to be forgiven. So how is it that the guilty are not cleared, but are forgiven somehow, without injustice happening? This is the puzzle of the gospel, and this is the puzzle that only Christianity can appropriately answer. Thank you. And we are going to answer that question. Well, I'm not going to answer this question, but Paul is. Okay, so we're, we are now approaching my favorite subject, which we just sang three songs about. And we're going to sing one more after this. And that is uh, what we can call the gospel proper. Okay, and this is the story, the information, the news, the good news about what, who, I should say, Jesus is and what Jesus did. Okay, I want us to go to Romans chapter 3 again. Uh, verse 21. So we are actually going to go into the same context as we were with Romans 3.23 uh, and actually just look at the broader context and look at where Paul is going with his argument. So Romans 3.23. Now I want to say, as you, as you go there, I have really, I've only done it a couple of times that I've opened up for questions afterwards, and I really like this. And then I heard all those great questions for Pastor Davey last week. And I was like, you know what? This is such a good thing. So I'm going to do my best to be relatively brief. <laughs> Pastor Davey, I don't know if you noticed that, but he was kind of nudging you to be like, don't take too long on that, which is good. Okay. So I want to be relatively brief and make time for questions at the end. Uh, so as we're going, if something occurs to you that you're like, I don't get it, uh, then you can ask it at the end. I'll do my best to answer it. And if I can't answer it, which will happen, then I would love to investigate that and then give you a fuller answer throughout the week. And even like post that fuller answer if I can uh, on the Discord or something like that. I think that will just foster a culture here of, of seeking to understand, right, uh, together, which is just a beautiful thing. So with that said, uh, I have the, the scripture up here. And I kind of have a, a thesis, okay? This is my thesis. I don't want to put a box around it. Here it is. All right. Being made right with God requires a gift of righteousness, which is uncompromisingly free and unfathomably costly. I'm going to just read it again. All right. Being made right with God, the solution to the puzzle, if you will, it requires a gift of righteousness, which is uncompromisingly free free to us and it is unfathomably costly to God. So in verse 21, we're going to dive in and actually I'm going to start by an explanation of what we mean by gift of righteousness. What do I mean by that? And I'm going to explain that that comes, I think, from this passage. So this now, this passage is one of the most important passages in scripture. Many commentators have, have named it the most important paragraph ever written. So regardless of if you get anything out of what I say tonight, you should go back, memorize this, study this, integrate this into your life because it's that important. This, if, if you've ever been confused by the cross, start here. Okay? This is Paul's explanation in a nutshell of what the cross means. Okay. But now, but now, and I'll quick note on but now. It's actually a huge but, right? Have you ever heard that biggest but in the Bible? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of those buts, actually. I don't know which one's the biggest one, um, but this is definitely one of the biggest buts in the Bible, okay? Uh, fun to say. 
because Paul has transitioned. All he's proven so far in the book of Romans is that everybody's guilty. And he's going to summarize that in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Basically, everyone's in the same playing field, and that is dead. Everybody's in the same playing field, and that is totally hopeless to achieve a righteousness on their own, okay? To be made right with God on their own. And so, Paul's now transitioning to his main point of the entire book of Romans, which is, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There has been some debate about what is meant by the righteousness of God in this. Is this big enough for y'all to see? Yeah. Okay, good. And this is, this is how uh, scholars have, I, I think, how I've been taught to understand it, how in my study makes sense, um, and, and generally I think the best way to understand the righteousness of God. First of all, we can understand it to be an attribute, okay? So what's an attribute? Anybody? Great. That's perfect. A characteristic or a trait. Uh, I want you to name a trait about me. Uh, wow, thanks. Wow, this is great. Keep on going, guys. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> Someone's going to be like, awkward, old. What did you say, old, Jenna? I said tall. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you said old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's an attribute. It's something that's true about me. Okay? Um, sometimes uh, the righteousness of God, we can kind of oversimplify it to God does right stuff, okay? But it's more than just God doing what is right. It's actually God loving what is right. It's God being what is right, okay? You can think of it like he bleeds righteousness, okay? I was actually thinking about an analogy. Uh, there's a couple Vikings fans in the, in the pastoral authority of this church. Uh, there's a certain worship uh, pastor coming, coming to mind uh, who loves the Vikings, okay? And I don't know if you've met Les Lofquist. Um, he's a mentor of mine and, and one of my professors, and he also loves the Vikings. Okay, so we could say that their love for the Vikings has become almost a part of them, okay? So much so that they wear all the gear on, on game day. They're going to root for them every time, okay? Uh, and they almost, they're, they're almost going to bleed purple and yellow, okay? Uh, because they, are, they have an unswerving allegiance to this team. It's unswerving. Nothing can take them off the course, even if they just lose and lose and lose and lose and lose, okay? Unswerving allegiance, okay? God has an unswerving allegiance to what is right and good and true. And you could say that uh, God is team righteousness. It's in his DNA. It's who he is. In fact, it might be wrong even to define God by righteousness. We should really define righteousness by God. God is the definition of what is right. And really, there's no other standard to measure him by. It's, it's him, okay? So this, on the one hand, is what righteousness of God refers to. But, okay, here's where it gets complicated. Look at verse 22. And the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. It gets kind of weird. If, this is just an, if it's just an attribute that's being discussed, then what is meant by the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. Now, what I'm going to argue is it's not just an, an attribute, uh, but we could even say it is a, a shared attribute. It's something 
Give me a read my handwriting. I don't know if it's worth, worth writing, but okay. Something that God actually gives to us. And this is vital to understand. Uh, I'm going to flip back real quick to uh, another scripture. This is Romans 10. Okay, now Paul has just walked through the sorrow in his heart that so many Jews have rejected Christ. And also the, the conflict in his heart because he knows that Israel has been chosen and that ultimately God is going to redeem them. And yet he's now reflecting on their current state, which is loving the law. Okay, they, and I shouldn't say loving the law, holding on to the law as a means of being right with God, as a means of righteousness. And so he says uh, in verse 3 here, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So here we can kind of see from Paul's use of the righteousness of God, it's not just his attribute, but it's something that he confers. It's something that he gives to us. It's something that he shares with us. His perfect goodness is something that somehow the gospel gives to us. So I'm going to go back to it. The righteousness of God, something like a, a shared attribute. We're going to move on to the next part of our, of our definition. Okay, so all that Paul has said so far is that somehow we can be made right with God through this righteousness of God, which is ultimately summarized by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now he's going to go back, he's going to summarize everything that he said before, and then go on to explain how this is all possible. Okay? So he first summarizes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. And that all is really emphasizing the fact that Jew and Gentile are on the same playing field. The law doesn't make any difference. And he says it again over here, apart from the law. Uh, now we can apply this in a general sense as well and say that, and going back to this definition, this gift that God gives it has to be uncompromisingly free. This is such an important point. I cannot overemphasize it. God gives his righteousness for free. And we cannot earn it. The Jews were trying, if I can go back to our three circles, okay? You could put the law right here, okay? You could, you could be basically, or, or if we just made it a little more general, religion, okay, in a, in a man-centered sense, okay? Oftentimes we think, and, and many people think, um, this is actually the foundation of all religion that is not Christianity, that one way or another, if you do enough good in your life, God will accept you. If you try your hardest, God will see that, and it'll be good enough. That is not the gospel. And the law is the primary example of that because the law was God's law it was given to them saying alright if you were to fulfill every aspect of this then you would be showing yourself to be perfect like I made you to be but no one is justified by the law and so if no one could do that then, then whatever else religion has crafted to make yourself acceptable to God is definitely not going to work Okay, there is nothing you can do to work yourself into heaven now, again, this is so essential to the gospel, and this is why I chose, in some, in some senses, why this, this text is what I wanted to talk about here for, for this circle, okay? The gospel circle is, first of all, this gift of righteousness is uncompromisingly free, okay? Now, Paul makes that abundantly clear by just emphasizing it's apart from the law, and all have sinned and fall short, and they are justified. They are made righteous. That's the same word, actually, in Greek. It's, it's, it's like righteous, a verb. 
made righteous, righteous, righteous by, okay? They are justified by his grace as a gift. And, and so, again, what's a gift? What's a definition of a gift? Something you don't pay for. <laughs> Something that someone gives you for free. Uh, Kate, her birthday was this week, and uh, she got some great gifts, okay? And I just want to contrast two gifts. One gift was from me, okay? Uh, and it was fine. It was, a, it was a bread maker. We're excited about making bread, okay? Uh, it's not like the most romantic gift I could have given her. I was kind of second-guessing that after the fact, like, but she was super excited, okay? She was like, yes, okay, a bread maker. I was like, make me bread, woman. No, I was not like that. Uh, <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, she wants to make the bread, okay? That's not the relationship we have. Okay, now you're all worried about me. Okay. Uh, now, on the other hand, my, now, here's the thing about that gift. We share a bank account, right? So, in a sense, she kind of paid for that gift also. Now, I made the decision to spend our finances on that, and in that sense, uh, she is, is grateful for that. But my mom, on the other hand, went to a fancy store and bought a whole bunch of really nice clothes and sent that to us, okay? And she loved it. She was actually wearing some of the pants this morning. Did you any of you guys notice those hippie pants? They're super cool. Um, that, I mean, they look like they're kind of from the 70s, but that's what style does. Coming back around, okay? So it, they, they come, they like flare at the ankle. I know this doesn't really matter. Okay, the point is, <laughs> the point is that if Kate were to call my mom and say, okay, how much, how much was the total? I'd, I'd like to, you know, obviously I want to pay you. Like, I'd be missing the point of a gift entirely, okay? A gift is a gift because you don't pay for it. And, and Paul makes that point later on in Romans, saying, look, uh, if you get a wage, then, then you work for it. But this is not a wage. He contrasts it with working for something. And instead he says, no, this is a gift. This is something given by grace which is an unmerited favor. It's something you didn't deserve and you didn't earn and it was given to you and you can't pay for it. That is the gospel. That is being made right with God. It is entirely free, okay? And uncompromisingly free. There's, if we add something to this, then we have compromised the gospel. And that is why it is, you know, some people are like, you know, Catholics, they, they really do they're not that far off. They still have Jesus. They still believe in Jesus. Here's the problem, okay? Now, I'm not, now, I think it's possible for a Catholic to be saved in spite of the doctrine of the church. Because the doctrine of the church does this. It says, okay, um, the gospel is free, but then you have to pay for it a little bit after, after a while. Like, you need to, ultimately, you get saved, and then you, and then you start paying after that. And they, and they call it merit. And it's a huge, huge problem because of this. And this is actually what the Reformation was built on. It's free. And, and, the, and the Catholic Church really hated that because they were literally charging people to pay their way into heaven. Uh, so that's how, that's how bad it can get if you get this wrong. So it's a gift. Uh, and then it's uncompromisingly free. Okay? Now here's the thing. If God's righteousness is given to us as an, a gift, I want to bring you back to this puzzle. Okay? Now, pretend, if you do understand the cross, pretend that you don't for a moment, okay? This doctrine, so far, looks like heresy, okay? Basically, it's just saying, okay, yeah, God is, uh, if we go back to, like, Exodus 34, I guess I didn't write it down. God is both merciful and he's just, okay? So far, if this is all we get, then he is not just. You can't just let somebody off. Now, 
sometimes I think we, we can think like, well, why doesn't he just give us a break? Why doesn't God just, why can't he just be forgiving and just have some mercy? He's God. He can do anything he wants. And to be honest with you, I have struggled with that, with that question. Here's the thing. We're, we're comparing it to a human judge in a human situation. If I was in the middle of nowhere and I jaywalk across the road, nobody around, okay? And then out of nowhere, out of the bushes, pops a cop, okay? And he gives me, he writes me a ticket that technically, according to the law, uh, is, is the right amount, okay? But it's a lot. Say it's 500 bucks, all right? And I go, I go to the, uh, the court and I, and I fight and I say, you know what? Seriously, there's not a car in sight. Like, give me a break, all right? Now, we might call the judge merciful if they're like, you know what? You're right. He can go. He can go free, right? No one's going to be, like, standing up and being like, no justice, okay? I, I don't think, right? But that's because our systems are not perfect. God, on the other hand, is not like that, okay? Let's, let's do another scenario. Let's say someone murders someone. And then they go to the judge. He's, he's clearly guilty. He's pronounced guilty. And then the judge says, you know what? I'm a merciful judge. You take it. It's, it's okay. <laughs> you can go. I'm, I'm just merciful like that. I'm just, I'm just really good. I'm kind of like God. Who would have a fit? Well, hopefully everybody. But certainly the family of the, of the one who was killed. This isn't how justice works. You can't just clear the guilty. And that's why God says, I will by no means clear the guilty. Which is us. Right? So, how does it work? How can this work? He gives his righteousness to us. At an unfathomable cost. And that's the second part. So if we, if we move on, we get this word through. Through. How does he do this? It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's two words, I think, that we need to understand to, to, to get this. And now we're talking about the cross. We look at by his blood. That's the reference to say Paul is now talking about what happened on the cross. First of all, redemption. Redemption is a market it's referring to a price paid to ransom, often a slave, into freedom. That's what redeemed means. It means you're paying a price to redeem someone out of slavery often. It could be used just in a general sense, too, just to pay a price. So somehow a price is paid with Jesus. What was that price is the question. It's not a trick question. What did you say? Well, that's true. That is what he paid with. Yeah, it was Jesus' blood. And ultimately, I guess the thing I'm going for is it was our debt to God. Okay. Paul in Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the wage of sin. That's the price of sin. There is a just condemnation of sin and a price that has to be paid. And so there is redemption in Christ Jesus because Christ paid that price. 
uh, we, I, was, I was saying we were just singing so many of these truths and I was only singing them louder because I had just spent so much time in this text and thinking like, this is true. <laughs> this is actually true. And this is why I want you to know this text. I want you to be able to go here and say and remind yourself what the gospel is. So we sang uh, hallelujah for the cross. With your blood you bought my freedom, right? With your blood you, you bought my freedom. Hallelujah for the cross, right? That's what we're singing. You bought my freedom. Where does that language of buying and selling, it's not exactly selling, but more buying come from? It's from this word redemption. He paid a price. Now, for us, this is actually used the theologically in the New Testament to argue that we belong to God. Okay? So, Paul says, you were bought with a price. So, honor God in your body. You no longer belong to yourself. Dr. Berggraf this morning made a very similar point, right? We're stewards. And in the same sense, we're stewards of our very souls at this point. Our souls, if we have put our faith in Jesus belong entirely to him. You don't have the right to say, I want to do this and I want to do that with my life. I'm going to choose this career path. God gives you a stewardship, but ultimately you answer to him for every decision you make with your life because you have been bought for a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. Now the second word is propitiation. It's a maybe a little bit more difficult of a word um, on the surface, but it really, I think we can summarize it to be satisfaction and especially with regard to wrath so propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath so not only do we have a, a price to pay another way to, to put it is God according to his holiness and his justice had to reveal his wrath on sin he had to he had to punish it and propitiation is the satisfaction of that wrath, which means that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he bore the wrath of God. He did not simply die. He didn't die just to show us how much he loved us. I love you this much. In a way, that's true, but it was more than just a display of love. It was necessary because he bore the wrath of God that you deserve. And again, if we want an estimate of what he bore on the cross, then we should look at hell, at the doctrine of hell, at what we deserve and what, according to this, he bore. So an eternity, not of one person, but of millions of people who would put their faith in him, an eternity of the wrath of God was placed on him in a matter of hours. And he had to. It was the only way. The satisfaction of God's wrath by his and again, he, this, this word propitiation, it really refers to his sacrifice. And, and uh, in the Old Testament, it said that atonement is found in the blood. And there's this emphasis in the Old Testament regarding the, the, the sacrifice, the sacrificial system, saying that atonement is in the blood. There has to be blood spilled to cover sin and to atone and to propitiate, to satisfy wrath. And so when we say, behold the lamb, what are we talking about? Right? So once again, the song that we sang, Behold the Lamb, the story of redemption written on his hands. So the Lamb is a, a symbol of 
the sacrificial system and the fact that there had to be a sacrifice for sin. And Jesus was that. A sacrifice for sin. Here's the beauty. Well, there's so much beauty here. But if Jesus bore that wrath, then there remains no wrath for his children. For those who put their faith in Jesus, there remains no wrath. I remember skulking around my house when I had done something wrong, trying to avoid my dad. Because I knew I was guilty. I knew that I'd done something wrong, and so I would avoid him. And I, I remember one specific time that I skulked right in front of him. And he knew immediately, of course, that I had done something wrong, just from the way I was acting. But I was avoiding him, because I knew, and I wasn't wrong, when he found out, he was going to be angry with me. Well, uh, even though that's an imperfect example of an earthly father, we can sometimes act like that with God. Wake up in the morning and feel like, ah, oh, you know, I'm so bad, I'm so sinful, and I, I'm just going to do my best, God, so that, so that you're happy with me by the end of the day. And we can approach God like that. When really we should wake up in the morning, and it's an interesting uh, just exercise, if you wanted to take a sticky note, and write on it, right with God. Good with God. Me and God, we're good. There's nothing between us. And you just put that on your forehead. Justify. That's how believers walk around the world. I'm justified. And that it is from that place that we seek to live holy lives. And we will stumble and we will sin, and yet that stamp of justified does not leave our forehead because Jesus bore the wrath of our sin, the wrath of God for sin on the cross. He bore it all. And there's none left for you. Now, I just want to conclude because, again, I said this is a, a puzzle that has been solved. And this is, one of, again, one of my favorite little, little texts. So this, all of this, the cross, was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He had not punished. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time, in this dispensation, to use Dr. B's words, so that he might be, look, just and the justifier. Isn't that cool? So that God can be both just, both righteous and the righteous maker, right? He is both just and the one who makes you righteous so that he can say, forgiven, free, child of God. And he can only do that through Jesus. He can only do that through the cross. He can only do that by putting your sin on Jesus at the cross. Which in itself is quite a crazy thing. But that's how it works. Now if this is how it works, then that means that Jesus is the only way. Think about what, what he had to do to make this possible. And for us to say there's other ways to be saved, for us to say, yeah, a, a Buddhist or a Muslim or, uh, let's say, a, a, a Jew who does not believe the gospel, someone who's Jewish, by their religion, God will accept their worship because they're trying to worship the right God. No. That, that's saying that the, what Jesus did is, was unnecessary. 
That is not, that's not the case. In fact, Jesus is the only way. He has to be. And that's why we say nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what we're going to sing next. What can make me whole again? This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So here we are. This is the gospel. That on the cross, Jesus died in my place for my sin to reconcile me to God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how we get there. Now, I don't know if you noticed this. I hope you did. And that is, I, I kind of skipped over a very important phrase throughout this. Not faith. Faith. There is a way to receive the gift. And that's through faith. Not everyone receives this. Receives by faith, verse 25. The one who has faith in Jesus, verse 26. And so, repentance and faith is vital to understanding the gospel too. And that's what we're going to talk about, about next week. All right. Well, I went kind of long. Any questions? I would love questions. Yeah. So yeah, the question is, can the righteousness of God be referring to something that he does as well as something that he is? Um, it seems to include something like that, yes. In, in the sense that it's the righteousness of God uh, given to us, there, there seems to be an, an action in there. And, and the, the phrase itself uh, is relatively flexible. And so I think based on the context here, this is what, what Paul's talking about. Um, and yet I think there's some flexibility in there. So in another context, it's, it's totally possible, you know, that that could be referring to uh, something that he does. Yeah. That might be one that I'll come back to. There's a lot written on that, on that subject, so cool. Um, any other questions? I really, really want your questions. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly. I, uh, that's a good question. The question was, what's, what is it about the blood? And um, we're told that it is the blood, and it has to do with punishment for sin and death. But I think it might be more than that. Um, another phrase in the Old Testament that's vital is, is to say that um, because the life is in the blood. So it's, it's because blood is associated with life, and life has to be taken. Um, but I think there might be more to it than that. So that's another good question that I feel like like worth revisiting. So cool. I should actually write these down. So blood. All right. Any other ones? Yeah, Ben. Yeah. So forbearance. Uh, so the question is, um, what does it mean, divine? forbearance. Um, now, I haven't actually looked into why it specifically mentions the fact that it's divine. Um, so there could be something there, but forbearance on its, on its face is, is, is simply patience. Um, so he, he waits. So that phrase, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, basically he, he felt wrath against sin and he held himself back. 
he did not punish at that time. That did not make him unjust because he, he will ultimately punish all sin. But what the point that Paul's making here is people in the Old Testament would do wicked things and get away with it. Or let's, let's put it this way, even someone like David, it was, it was God's divine forbearance that he, he did not punish David, right? Uh, and he waited, uh, and ultimately the, the cross was, was the payment for, for David's sin as well, right? Um, but that's, that's, it basically means patience. Yeah, yeah, it's probably Jews and Gentiles in Rome. Yeah, so what is the impact of that to certain Jews? Do they still follow the tradition of being a Gentile no matter what time you're saying it, or do you kind of get to be like, how is Gentile still Jew? So what, the question is, what, how would this have impacted the original audience, specifically Jew and Gentile? Well, this might be oversimplified. I'm sure there's, there's more to this answer. Um, Paul really goes to town on Jews who have some kind of self-righteousness. Uh, and he just, he just hammers them, right? So I think it would totally strip those who were still following the law um, of this, this self-righteousness to make them realize that, that they can still follow those laws, but they are not justified by that. And on the other hand, I think this would um, be a, a wonderful, this would be wonderful news to the Gentiles. Because then they know, okay, if a Jew comes to me and says, you need to be circumcised and you have to start following the food laws, this is Yahweh of the Old Testament, look at the Old Testament, that, that would be a convincing argument. And up to, the, up to this point, this is actually a huge change in, in the way that God deals with, with mankind. Again, the word for that is dispensation. So I don't know if you've heard, again, dispensationalism is the idea that God gives different stewardships to different people at different times. And so in the Old Testament, you had to become a Jew, essentially, to be saved. You, that was a part of following and obeying God was to, was to become a part of the Jewish nation. Whereas that changed. Now, because it was such a massive change, there has to be a ton of evidence to support that. Uh, and so that's, I think, why something like Galatians and the Book of Romans are written. Um, because it's such a massive change, you've got to convince all of these Jews who have grown up this way that, no, this really is what the Old Testament ultimately teaches. And this really is what Jesus taught. And this really is the right way. This is not heresy. But it takes a lot. Um, so I think they would have received it kind of like when uh, there was a Jerusalem council and there was a question that was asked, you know, wait, do, do Gentiles have to follow the law? And ultimately, Jerusalem council, all the disciples, the apostles there decided, uh, no, no, they do not. And this was really, really good news. So um, that's my nutshell answer. There's probably more to it than that, but good question. Yeah, anything else? We're getting a little bit late, and it feels like an hour later. I don't know if you guys realize that. But in this room, it might as well be Sunday morning, right? No windows. It feels just like Sunday morning. So after this, while we get lunch, Cafe Mexicano, okay. Um, no, excellent. Uh, well, I'm going to invite the band up, and let's sing, let's sing one more song, but I'll, I'll pray for us. Uh, would you stand, and, and we'll, we'll pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your word. Because it is by your word that we can know for certain that we are accepted by you. Lord, that our sins have been washed away. 
that we can find redemption, that we've been bought, we can find the propitiation, the satisfaction of the wrath that we deserve has been set on Christ. And because we've been united with Christ, we experience, we share his righteousness. Lord, it's, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Um, sometimes it's hard to feel its truth simply because it's so uh, majestic and, and beyond us. And yet, Lord, I rejoice in the fact that it is true and it is clear and we can, we can build our life on it. Um, so Lord, I pray that every student in this room would understand this. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has up to this point been convinced that somehow they would work their way into heaven, whether that's how they were phrasing it or not, but I pray that this would, would destroy that notion and bring them to their knees so that we realize, each one of us, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable before you. Even our best work has been contaminated by sin and false motivation and selfishness, but you offer your righteousness to us for free. But I pray that, that that truth and the fact that we're justified by you uh, would change us. And we pray that we represent you well in the world. Uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.